Well, I want you to try to imagine something as we start hearing the word this morning. I want you to imagine that you are the successor to one of the greatest men in his age. And I want you to imagine that you are surrounded by leaders who maybe really don't know you, uh, leaders who maybe don't like you, a uh, number of the leaders don't like each other. Maybe you, are, you will be leading a people that are not completely united. And those people are surrounded with some terrible enemies. And I want you to know very quickly, I'm not talking about the next pastor of West Park, okay? When I describe that position. But... If that were the case, what would you ask for from God? And you know, we have that actual situation recorded in Scripture. About the year 960 B.C., according to our reckoning of time, we're told that there was someone who was succeeding one of the great men of the age, or the, even the ages, who would have leaders around him that really didn't know him, many that didn't like him, many he could not trust. The people were somewhat divided from civil war that had happened some years earlier. And you're not up to the task. Who would be? Who am I talking about? A man by the name of Solomon. We call him, of course, King Solomon, the son of the great King David. This is what he was ascending to. And he knew he was not up to the task and he could pray, he could ask for anything as a promise from the Lord. He could ask for anything. And what did he ask for? He asked for wisdom. He knew that the most important thing he needed was wisdom. Not human wisdom, that would not be enough. He needed God's wisdom, a wisdom that only God could provide to see things as they really are and to respond in a way that would be best for not only himself but for the people he was to govern. And God was pleased with his request. And he said, because you've asked this and you've not asked for your enemies, you've not asked for wealth and riches and fame, I will give you all those things. But I'll also give you wisdom. Well, we're told in Luke here that as Jesus was going about his ministry and he said to the crowds, there is one among you 
greater than Solomon. That's recorded in chapter 11, the previous chapter, chapter 11, verse 31. He said, there is one among you greater than Solomon. Meaning that greater in glory, greater in power, and greater than wisdom than even Solomon. He's talking about himself, the son of man. And what does the incarnation of wisdom himself, what does wisdom incarnate tell us that we need above all things for our own health now and forever and to truly experience life as God wants it to be now and forever. What does he tell us we need? He tells us we need wisdom. And he challenges us to be wise. If you look at the context here, Jesus is talking about who he is as the Son of Man. He's revealing who he is. He's talking about the purpose for which he has come. And he has just told them that he is coming back someday. One of his first references to his second coming. And when he comes back, there will be a judgment. There will be a separating from those who will enter into the kingdom of his Father and those who will go out to utter darkness where there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. (laughs) And having said that, he says to the crowds, Be wise. Make sure you have wisdom and respond to what revelation is being given to you. Now in order to do that, in this passage that Pastor Al just read for us, the Lord gives two illustrations. I want you to see these two illustrations as he challenges us to be wise. The first illustration is an illustration where Jesus is challenging us with this. He's speaking to the crowd. Some are his true disciples. Some don't know him and believe in him yet. And some are his enemies. So he's speaking to the whole crowd. And he says that they should be wise in their perception. And he gives them an illustration about this. It's an illustration... That is meteorological. It's from the weather. Here's what Jesus said. Verse 54. He also said to the crowds. When you see a cloud rising in the west. You say at once. A shower's coming. And so it happened. And when you see the south wind blowing. You say there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. Again, speaking to the crowd, especially those who are willfully rejecting him. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Meaning the time right now as he is speaking. Now... Weather can be an unpredictable thing, right? Some climates, it's 
fairly easy to predict the weather. I remember spending several days once with Susan and some others out in San Diego, California, and a few years later, we were able to make a trip back, and I thought, this has got to be the easiest place to predict weather ever. And I actually looked it up. I thought, you know, maybe I'm just catching them on some good days. But January, average high, 66 degrees. Average low, 47 degrees. Entire month's precipitation, two inches. July, average high, 71 degrees. Average low, two degrees. Precipitation, one-tenth of an inch. <laughs> and hope many of you won't start making planes to move, okay? But what a tough job. <laughs> Well, folks, it's going to be sunshiny today, high about 68, low tonight about 50, and they could just put you on autoplay. <laughs> then you come to Knoxville. <laughs> yeah. Poor meteorologist here. <laughs> I mean, they do their best, but honestly, inside, it's probably something like this. I'm thinking, <laughs> could be... Uh, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> and maybe really, folks, I haven't got a clue, okay? Being the person who predicts the weather, shares the weather in Knoxville, that's not an easy job. That's a tough job because our weather here is so unpredictable. But listen, San Diego... It's a lot like Israel. You see, San Diego has what's called a Mediterranean climate. Just like Israel. And in Israel, if you look out to the west and you see clouds forming over the Mediterranean Sea, and almost always, generally, I should say, the breezes come from the west and you see clouds forming over the ocean, you can say... Pretty confident it's going to be a shower. And it is. There is. Or, on occasion, when the wind shifts to the south. And out of the south, the wind blows over the Sinai Desert. <laughs> you can be pretty sure it's coming with a scorching heat. Now, Jesus takes that, that understanding the people had of the weather patterns... In Israel, and he makes the spiritual application. He takes the weather and turns it into a message of life and death importance. And he says this, verse 56 You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance on of the earth and the sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Now, that, does that sound harsh? Maybe to some it sounds harsh. You know, you shouldn't say, you hypocrites. But Jesus is saying, yes, you are being hypocrites. He's speaking to many in the crowd. You're being hypocrites. But 
Listen carefully. Why is Jesus calling them hypocrites? It's not because they have a lack of information. You're not a hypocrite if you have a lack of information and you don't know how you should respond. That's not what Jesus is calling hypocrisy. He is saying this is hypocrisy not when you have a lack of information but when you intentionally suppress the information that's given to you. You suppress it. He's talking about suppression of the truth. He has been sharing truth. He has been displaying truth. He has been making incredible, incredible presentation that He is the true one. He is the one sent from God. He has been sharing truth and many are suppressing that truth. Now friends, listen. Suppressing the truth is a recipe for disaster and destruction. That is true nationally. For any nation, suppression of the truth is a recipe for disaster and destruction. Abraham Lincoln said this during the Civil War. Let the people know the facts and the country will be saved. Let the people know the facts and the country will be saved. My friends, without freedom of speech, there exists no freedom. Without freedom of speech, there exists no freedom. How tragic it is where there is intentionality to suppress the truth to a people. We live in that day. That is not a political statement of any party. That's fact. But though the truth is suppressed, it doesn't mean we have to suppress it. We have the privilege of speaking the truth in love. We have that privilege. As long as there's air in our lungs and we have our vocal cords and we have the ability to form words that are thoughts, we have freedom in the Lord and we will speak. Say, what if they cut off your head? Well, (laughs) probably be like John the Baptist still sharing truth as his head rolled to the floor. But far worse, my friend, listen carefully, far worse than the national suppression of truth. Far worse, infinitely worse, is the suppression of truth spiritually. The suppression of truth spiritually. That brings a disaster and destruction beyond the telling. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. You shall know the truth, the truth of God in Christ. And that truth will not enslave you. That truth will emancipate you. 
that truth will set you free. Jesus said that. Jesus said it and Satan knows it. He knows the power of truth. If no one else knows the power of truth, Satan knows the power of truth. And that's the reason he deals in lies. That's the reason he lied to our ancestors, Adam and Eve. So that they would reject the truth. He suppressed the truth of the Father. Substituted it with a lie. And they believed the lie rather than the truth. The lie was that they could be free if they got free from the shackles of God. They'd find freedom. They believed that lie and they didn't find freedom. They found bondage and death. And they brought it on themselves and the creation of which they had stewardship. And they brought it into their very nature. And it descended from all, from them to all the sons of Adam and daughters of Adam. Satan hates the truth. And what is the truth that Satan hates, my friends? The truth that he hates is the ultimate truth. He hates the ultimate truth. What is the ultimate truth? Well, it's hinted at here in verse 56. Jesus hints at it. Notice what he says. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? He is saying there is something right now happening that is the ultimate truth, so much clearer than Clouds in the west and a wind from the west. So much clearer than breeze out of the south that comes with scorching heat. So much more certain, he said, is something that's here before you. Absolute truth. What is it? It's this truth. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the King. He is the truth. That is the fact that had been presented before them in the very life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus is saying, I am the truth. I am truth himself. How sad he stood before Pilate and Pilate asked the question, what is truth? And Pilate is oblivious to the fact that truth incarnate is standing in front of him in Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. What is then hypocrisy? You see, hypocrisy is connected with interpreting the present truth that Jesus is talking about. Hypocrisy is the rejection of the ultimate truth. It is rejection of the very signs given by Jesus that He is the Son of God, the Savior. That's hypocrisy. Now friends, the greatest evil, listen carefully, church, to what I'm about to say. The greatest evil in the world is the suppression of the truth of Jesus in the name of religion. When what is so-called religion 
suppresses the truth of who Jesus is, what he did, and what he said. And what the followers of him said about him. It is to give people a salve for their conscience. Something that makes them feel good that somehow God is appeased. But it is a rejection of the truth itself, the Word of God, and God the Word revealed in the Word of God. That is done not by the government. That's done in the name of religion. This is the greatest tool in Satan's toolbox. He knows that men and women, by their very nature, are religious. That means they know there is a God. And they know by their very conscience and by the creation around them that they have a maker and somehow, someway, they're accountable to that maker. Satan does not deal in atheism. That's not his specialty. He will use that, but that's not his specialty. The specialty of Satan is religion without God, Christianity without Christ. That's his specialty. Now we have to ask, what's the purpose of that? Why then, why, do, why would the truth of Jesus be suppressed? Well, listen to what St. Paul said. Here's what he said. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress what? The truth. The idea here is people suppress the truth for the purpose of unrighteousness. That is, they want to do what they want to do, therefore they create God in their image. It's like the French atheist and great literary critic Voltaire said back in the 18th century, he said, God created man in his own image and then man returned the favor. Mankind has created a God in his or her own image and then worshiped the God who is the creation of their own hands. Friends, it's no different than going out and cutting down a tree and worshiping a tree. It's no different than carving out a rock and worshiping a rock than to go to the Bible, the Word of God, take out what you don't like and then worship the God that's left over. That is worse because it offers people a false hope and a false sense that this is really the truth. When it's not the truth of all, it's just a salve for conscience so that people can do what they want to do. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said it this way in John 3, verse 19. Just right after John 3, 16. We sang that this morning. Isn't that great? 
It was great. I didn't hear much, but it was great. <laughs> what did Jesus say? People loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Therefore, they loved the darkness. You see, friend, it's true tragedy. How tragic it is when the light becomes your enemy. Imagine if there was a cave up here in the hills of Kentucky where miners were working and that cave collapsed. Several men trapped inside of the mine. They're there in complete darkness, hoping, praying, waiting. And they try to lie still to retain their strength and not use much oxygen. One of them sort of wakes up a little bit because something's, something's shining in his, his eyes. And there's, there's a little beam of light that's shining in through a crack. And it's hurting his eyes. So the man reaches over in the darkness, gets a rag, and stuffs it in the crack. Because the light's hurting his eyes. He, he's in a tomb. And the light disrupts. His existence. You'd say that's foolish. How foolish is it for us to have our own existence. And then God in his love shines light into our heart. His light is love my friend. For us just to cover that light. My friend that light that God shines in your heart. Listen to me. Don't listen to Satan. Don't listen to his lies. That light that is bringing conviction to your heart, that light is not evil. That is love. And that's God shining the light in your heart so that you know that you need to be changed. And things aren't right. And friend, I want to tell you, if you're experiencing that today, run to that light. Don't run away from it. Because that light is coming from the source of light. It's coming from the one who said, let there be light. And the one who calls the light to shine out of the darkness will shine the light of his love into your heart. The glory of God in the face of Jesus. Run to that light. While there's time. And that's the final thing I just want you to see here for a minute. He says, be wise in your perception. But then Jesus says, be wise in your preparation. He gave the first illustration. It was meteorological. Now he gives an illustration that's judicial. He says, it's like this. Be wise and be prepared. Verse 57. Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle 
with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Jesus here is using another illustration they're very aware of. It's not one of the weather, it's one of the judicial system. He's talking about their danger of being in debt to someone, someone they've wronged, and if they don't reconcile with this person before the court date, the judge will cast them into prison and they'll stay there until they pay their debts. Meaning, you're not going to get out. Now, Jesus is using that illustration for a spiritual message. He is saying this, judge for yourselves. Do you see that? Judge for yourself, which means judge yourself. Judge yourself before you are judged. You see that? Why do you not receive the truth? Don't cover it up. Don't deny the truth. But having received the truth, now judge yourself before you have to stand before the judge. Make sure you get right with the one who accuses you before you stand before the judge. You see here, the way out of darkness, the way out of bondage, the way out of deception. How do you get out of deception? You start by acknowledging your wrong to yourself. You acknowledge it to yourself. I remember when I was growing up years ago, there was this television show called Happy Days. Some of you are laughing. We're all of a certain age, I know. All the others, you can Google it, okay. <laughs> One of the main characters, Fonzie. The Fonz. Hey. Played by actor Henry Winkler. Fonz was too cool to be mistaken. As a matter of fact, he couldn't even say the word wrong. And there was several episodes, it was hilarious, when he needed to do it, and he wanted to try to do it, and he'd say, okay, I was ruh, 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 ruh. I was ruh, ruh, ruh. He couldn't even say wrong. Well, my friend, you better stop being too cool to say you're wrong before it gets too hot. Amen. Jesus is saying, say the word. Get real. Get honest with yourself so that you can get honest with God. My friends, the worst form of deception is self-deception. Get truthful with yourself and then you can do what? Judge yourself. You bring the judgment upon yourself, first of all. That's the reason Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. 31. If we will truly judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Now, he's saying this to believers, but the truth is universal. If we will judge ourselves, if we will acknowledge that we're wrong before the judge, then we won't be judged. 
That's the first step. To acknowledge that God is right and you are wrong. That's the first step. That's what leads to confession. You know what the word confession means? Confession doesn't mean to say you're sorry. Not literally. Of course you're sorry. It's a godly sorrow if it's true. But the word confession literally means this. To say the same thing. To say the same thing. To confess your sins is to say the same thing that God says about yourself and your sin. Someone as well said to confess is to agree with God against yourself. It's to say, God, you're righteous and I'm not. You're right and I'm wrong. And I admit that to you. I confess that to you. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to do what? Forgive us our sins. He does not want us to acknowledge our sins to keep us in shame. He convicts us so that we'll acknowledge our sins, run to His light, and it's the light of love, and He will freely forgive us for Jesus' sake. He says you've got to say the same thing your accuser says. You see that? Verse 58. The accuser is right and you are wrong. Well, in this illustration, the one wronged here is the one bringing the accusation. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said the Holy Spirit will convict the world of what? Sin. Righteousness. And judgment to come. You don't want to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Then agree with the Holy Spirit. As He brings the accusation of God's broken law to your heart. And shows you that it's not an issue of habit. It's not just a mistake. It's much more than that. You have disobeyed God's law. You are a lawbreaker and you acknowledge that before God. God, your law is right and I have broken it. I am a sinner. Please forgive me. That's confession. And my friend, that's the beginning of hope. That's where hope lies. Because why? Listen, why is there hope? Friend, listen to me. There's still time. There's still time. Listen carefully. According to Jesus' illustration, you're headed to court. You need to settle out of court. There's a court date. And if you don't settle out of court with God, you will settle in court with God. But now there's an opportunity before you get to the court. Do you see the image? Before you get to the court as the accuser who's right and you're wrong is convicting you that you've broken God's law, admit that, ask for mercy now and settle out of court. (laughs) You don't want to go to court with a wholly offended God. You want to settle with that holy offended God 
who has offered you grace and mercy through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's how to deal with God. On the basis of His mercy. Friends, He's merciful. You can settle out of court. He pities you. He pities me. Thank God for His mercy. And not only is He a God of mercy, He's a God of grace. What did we sing about this morning? This is amazing grace. This amazing love. What? That you would take my place. That you would pay for all my sin. This is grace. The Lord offers us not just pity, mercy, but in His great pity, He's acted on our behalf. He's come and paid our debt. And having paid the debt, Jesus is offering a free pardon. Paid for. Fully paid for. You don't have to go to court. And settle with a wholly offended God. You can settle out of court with His Son who has paid the price. He's paid the cost of the crimes we have committed. He's paid it all. And now, today, right now, while there's still time, you have the opportunity to not go to court. But what if that is not taken? What happens if you don't take that opportunity? You say, well, I'll just take my chances. Uh That's not a chance at all. There's more chance in hell than chance before a holy offended God. Verse 59 I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the very last penny. What is he saying? Our sins are infinitely offensive to God. And infinitely offensive sin can never be paid by any merit, by any action in this life or in the life to come. The opportunity is before the court date. What is God offering? My friend, what's He offering you before the date when you appear before Him in court? He's offering you right now mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. That's what He's offering you. But if you wait to go to court, what you will get from a holy God, listen carefully, is justice. The opposite of grace is justice. Mercy and grace is pity and grace is offering us what we do not deserve, what's been provided for us freely, that's grace. But if we don't want to receive God's grace, then we will receive justice. What we justly deserve. My friend, we need to settle out of court. This is the time. This is the opportunity. This is the day of salvation. This is the acceptable time. This is the time of God's favor. What did Jesus say He'd come to announce in Luke 4 as we began this series? He said, I've come to announce, to herald the good news. What's the good news? What's the gospel news? There is a day of salvation that is now offered. 
freely. That's the acceptable time. And you live in that day. And salvation is freely offered. But now listen, friend, I close with this. Listen. Salvation is only offered to guilty people. It's not a difficult thing to find a sinner. You could go out here, you could go downtown, anywhere, ask people if they're a sinner, and I'll guarantee you most will still say, well, yeah, I guess you could say I'm a sinner. And then you can say, well, let me ask you this. Do you understand you're a lost sinner without hope and you're justly condemned by a holy God and there's nothing you can do to save yourself? And if you stand before Him, you will be condemned and cast out from His presence for all eternity? Ask that question. Well, I'm not that bad. There's no hope for anybody who says I'm not that bad. What is confession? You agree with God against yourself. Jesus didn't come to die and save people who just want a ticket to heaven. He came for sinners. People who know they're sinners. Feel they're sinners. And friend, don't you thank God for that? Don't you thank God for Jesus? You feel like a sinner today? He came for you. We are sinners. We don't measure up. Thank God Jesus measures up. We can't pay it. Jesus has paid it. Our only hope is Jesus. And that's the light. And friend, I want you to run to the light. Here's the light. Romans 10, verse 8. The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim, and I am proclaiming it to you this day, and I've proclaimed it for 34 and a half years, and as long as I can proclaim it, I can pro- I'll proclaim it. And thank God for a pastor like Pastor Schutman who's proclaimed it for 41 years. But my friend, we all proclaim it. What are we to proclaim? What's the good news? Here's the good news. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. Not guilty. Declared not guilty. And with the mouth one confesses. Homo legeo says the same thing confesses Christ and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone, not some, everyone who will believe in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. My friend, I've talked to many people, many, many people over the years, and I've encouraged them. You take that verse, verse 13, do you see it? You take the word everyone out and you put your name in there. If Sam Paulson will call upon the name of the Lord, 
he will be saved. And if you will truly in repentance and faith call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And if you know that's true of you, praise God, don't listen to the devil, you are saved. Not because your prayer was worthy, but because your Savior was worthy. And you come just as you are. Let's bow our heads. I thank you for your attention. But old friend now, would you attend to the Holy Spirit? Would you attend to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you, whether it's about your salvation or whether it's about your relationship with Christ? He's speaking to you in love. The light is shining in your heart in love. It's the love of God. And you come just as you are, without one plea, but that His blood was shed for you. Friend, right now in this quiet, agree with the Holy Spirit. His accusation is a word of love. Agree with Him. Say what He is saying is true. Plead only Jesus as your substitute and Savior. Claim His pardon. Now, now, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. And if you are a Christian and there's that broken relationship, if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just forgive you and cleanse you. Agree with Him now. 